0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional
1: conservative truth. The Conservative Review
0: with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots yearning to be free to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for Thursday, September 24th. And again, as always, we got a lot to talk about. But to start off, I'm going to shock you by saying maybe we should abolish the police after all. Maybe there is no purpose to their existence. Now, let me just say, from the onset, I'm not going back on anything I've said the last number of years. I probably have the longest paper trail out there. Maybe after someone like Heather McDonald of advocating on behalf of law enforcement, defending their prerogatives, trying to portray really what they're up against in their daily job. And the overwhelming majority of them, I believe, want to deter and punish, although punishment is not so much their thing, but deter and apprehend bad guys. And they don't want to deal with tyranny and become a bunch of tyrannical Monsters. But I will say this. You see, I understand. I understand. The desire for a lot of the police to just stand back and say, screw it. I'm going to allow these riots like we saw last night in, in Louisville. We're seeing really everywhere now. Every major city or even kind of moderate mid-sized city, sometimes even smaller cities. Erupt with BLM terrorism without any deterrent. And we're not going to get into that so much today, but there's what to say that we we are 4 months into this. And there is no deterrent. And I warned you those days in late May, Trump had the opportunity to stuff it in the hole and I said if you didn't do it then, it will become a new precedent that so long as someone who is shot by police is black, irrespective of why they were shot and what they were doing, the no-knock, no-knock bill Remember they had this legislation, Rand Paul even spearheaded it. Brianna Taylor. Well, it turns out they did knock. And they knocked. And this they had a warrant. This woman's boyfriend shot at them and they shot back. But that that is what we're facing. But I understand if the cops are gonna say, look, if I'm gonna be prosecuted, so I'm just gonna crawl under a rock. I understand that. I appreciate that. But if you then are going to turn around and suddenly discover your cojones and your moxie to go after small women or go after church choirs. Go after soft targets who usually are white. And I say that because they know they're not going to get blowback. If the color is right, because we have a reverse Jim Crow going on in this country today. And they're going to turn around and enforce Corona fascism unconstitutional mask wearing outdoors or uh, capacity numbers and go around with a tape measure of how far people are standing apart from each other, exercising their First Amendment, exercising really what Blackstone described as the crux of individual liberty to just walk in locomotion, not harming anyone without having to put something on your face that not only is undignified, but also makes your lungs work harder. I mean, that is, that is a fact. If you're one of, the, one of those people, you are a pathetic coward. And just as bad as Antifa and BLM. And you know what? Maybe you deserve a little bit of BLM in your life. Obviously, if you haven't seen it by now, most of you have. I'm referring to twin incidents. One in Ohio, one in Idaho that I wasn't even planning on talking about this today because there's still a lot a lot of news on the virus, a lot of news uh, on the Supreme Court. But if we can't solve this, we don't have a country to save, nothing matters. So this was in Moscow, Idaho. Now you would think it's Moscow, Russia from the scene there, the picture, the video. But this is Northern Idaho, Okay, this is not San Francisco. So we've seen all these videos of people getting manhandled and arrested in Australia. Or like, man, we're sure happy, uh, you know, um, America isn't quite there. We better stop it before it gets there. And then maybe the thought was if it would start in America, it would be in a place like uh, New York, San Francisco. No. Northern Idaho. Northern Idaho. A church group went and uh, had a hymn, just a church service outside. They were standing apart from each other, doing the thing. But they found, cops found in their view, a few people that they think weren't, quote, social distancing, weren't wearing a mask, and they cited a few of them. And then when some others, like this county commissioner candidate, Gabrielle Wrench declined to just identify himself. They arrested him and they arrested a couple others. They put them in handcuffs and led them away for singing in church outdoors six feet apart. But didn't have a diaper on their face. Folks, I could not have conjured up a degree of tyranny like this in a blue state a half a year ago. Are we going to take it or not? Are we going to take it or not? That is the question. Okay? What happened to Governor Brad Chicken Little? This is a state with a Republican governor and super-duper majorities in both houses of the legislature, yet there is a county with an outdoor mandate. Either it's a Moscow City thing, or it's a Lata County. Now, I understand some are going to say to me, well, Daniel, it is Northern Idaho, but that particular city happens to be home to University of Idaho, so it tips the balance slightly to the left, and Democrats have control there. But why is it that any red county in a blue state is completely stuck, and then somehow the state governor gets to have a a, a mask mandate, but when the shoe is on the other foot, and you have a Republican state government, but you have a blue county, they seem to do whatever they want. As long as it's a little vestige, it could be a tiny town, but it's a college town, and Democrats can control, they could do whatever they want. Why is it? Where is the Republican governor precluding the local governments from doing this? I mean, outdoors, at least, at least if you don't want to go after the indoor mandate, the outdoor mandate. Where in the world are they? And folks, this is why I noted yesterday, we need to know where the Supreme Court candidates stand on these crucial issues of our time. We need to know. I mean, there is no way an outdoor mandate to wear a mask is constitutional. There is no way. Indoor mandate... You know, I have trouble with that, too. I mean, certainly policy-wise, but constitutionally, certainly the way not just Democrat, but even Republican governors adhere to the case law we have about the degree of privacy and personally bodily integrity that you have, it's very hard to fit that in. I mean, you talk about the things, the rights that people have defined by the courts these days, that is a very hard thing to pass muster with our case law. And if I be vis Remember, we have so many restrictions on government's ability to regulate a certain activity because you have a supposed alleged right. Here, we're regulating your inactivity. We're compelling you to put something on your most personal, private space of your face, your mouth, your nose, without legislation usually, without a time limit, arbitrarily enforced. How does this pass muster? How does this pass muster? But the point is, we need to know where Amy Barrett or who, if someone else is picked, we need to know where they stand on this. I mean, I don't understand. No one's even talking about it. Like they they keep rehashing the same things from four decades ago, as if we're not living in a changed time with a worse more pervasive, more protracted period of tyranny than we have ever experienced anywhere on this continent since the settlement of the New Land in 1620. And that includes King George. We have never experienced this degree of tyranny. That is a fact, not hyperbole. I I challenge you to find anywhere in history where you can match this. Again, for such this severe This widespread for such a sustained period of time. This uh, city in in Idaho evidently has the the mandate all the way to to January. All the way to January. And again, we have so much news on this. How there are no deaths literally taking place now. There are no hospitalizations in any meaningful numbers. There is no epidemic. It's it's one big case-demic of notional or false positives or just... The virus itself, if you have it, it's very weak. The entire premise and predicate for these laws and edicts are out the window. All the deaths are being laundered from before, or they're totally made up. We have a lot of great data from our Rational Ground folks on this. And meanwhile, they shut down our Facebook page, the public one, Citizen Sanctuary. They shut down the Twitter account for that for merely posting accurate information. That's why, folks, I need you guys to keep the lights on here and support our advertisers. I I need you to do, do me this favor. I'm not asking you to purchase anything. I'm asking you to go to a website. That's all. Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com forward slash Daniel. Gabby insurance folks. I had Geico insurance for many years, homeowners and auto, and I had pretty good rates. Cause I had that longevity with them, all the, you know, multi discounts and, you know, being there many years, I thought nobody could beat it. Gabby has a service where you, they could run in their system to see if you are overpaying, if they could get you a rate, a match, cause they have deals with progressive nationwide travelers, um, 40 top insurance providers, and they will spit back to you within a couple minutes. It's not one of these crazy things that gives you a runaround for half an hour and then you know, then you got a call or it doesn't give you. After a couple minutes, you'll get an email and boom, you'll get an exact quote. And it's broken down by auto and and homeowners. Turns out I was able to save about 350 bucks. So, folks. Just link your current insurance account. Give them that information. And in a couple minutes, you will see your quote pop up. They have saved $825 on average per person. Again, I had a pretty good plan, so it was about $350. And you know what? If they can't find you savings, like they did for me, then you you know that you're getting the top rate. I mean, it's a good deal for you. All you got to do is doesn't cost you anything. Just go right now, totally free, check your rate, couple minutes, even pause the show if you want. Stop overpaying on your car and homeowner's insurance. You will not get government to bail you out if you're not of the right ilk, if you know what I mean. Those of you who are not on welfare. So if you want to save money, you got to do it the old-fashioned way. But you could do it the old-fashioned way with new technology. Go to Gabby.com forward slash Daniel. That is G-A-B-I dot com forward Forward slash D-A-N-I-E-L Gabby.com slash Daniel. Never overpay on car insurance and homeowners insurance ever again. Now, folks, you want to tell me, oh, you know, this is a university town, Moscow, Idaho. I know it's Idaho, but it's Moscow. Again, I said it's state government is a Republican, they could do what they want. But what if I gave you a count a county where there's an example of this tyranny where Trump carried the county by 31 points within a state where Republicans control the trifecta of government, within a country where Trump is president. And we still have the problem. Okay? Logan, Ohio, is in such a county. This woman was at a football game, a middle school football game, so it's not like one of these like really enclosed stadiums. It's outdoors, basically, with nothing more than bleachers. Everyone is standing far apart, except if you're a family member. Outdoors, standing far apart. And this big police man, by the way, I found out through an internet sleuth, and you can look up, his name is Chris Smith. And I think it's time to out these people. And he comes in and says, you're not wearing a mask. And she's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. And he immediately starts grabbing her to put her hands behind her back. Now, at least if you're going to do this, just try to first escort her outdoors. Say, either put it on or leave. But right away to just cuff her? She, she was resisting arrest, but again, not in a way where you have these belligerent guys literally putting gashes on policemen's faces. I mean, there's a video I, I linked to in an article today out of Seattle where they're throwing cones, busting up their bikes, beating them, and none of them get arrested. I mean, if it doesn't result in serious bodily injury, and even then they usually get let go, but they don't, they don't get arrested. Most of these guys that are blocking, you know, they have the checkpoints, Sometimes it's the, it's the driver that has to run through the checkpoint that gets arrested. I mean, violence. So don't give me, oh, she's a resisting arrest. She wasn't, it was a very passive. She's, she's a small, thin woman. This guy is a big tank, okay? Um, but she's white, so it's okay. And tases her. Tases her. So police have gotten trouble with guys, like, shooting at them for tasing them. Again, there's one thing if, if, if they like pull out a knife or they start to really like charge at you, you tase them. She was just not cooperating. And he went to the taser. And then eventually I escorted her out. Folks, there's a hallmark to all these cases. I've noticed. The lesson we're learning from BLM is that crime pays and violence is the answer. The more belligerent you are and the greater you are in numbers, the more ironically you get away with it because you deter the police rather than the police deterring you. Now, obviously, we abhor violence. And I don't advocate doing what BLM does to achieve our agenda, a.k.a. attacking others, damaging others, harming police as an end to itself. But at some point, we do need for that issue to defend liberty in the Constitution to resist. Again, it doesn't mean, oh, I don't like mass mandates, so I'm going to beat people. I'm going to burn things. No. But to at least resist and resist in greater numbers. And the problem that I noticed, and and I got to get a better picture here, but both in the church service there in Idaho and the game here in Ohio, why didn't you have what you had in Spain a couple weeks ago, where they grabbed a woman for, and arrested her for not wearing a mask outdoors, and a couple of men, a crowd of men that are like, no, you're not doing this. They didn't go and punch the police, but they firmly resisted and pulled her back. They threw down their masks and pulled her back. That's the difference between liberty and anarchy. I understand we don't like getting our hands dirty, and that's part of the problem. We all like being the perfect victim where you didn't squeal or squirm at all, you just, yes, yes, sir, I don't believe in this, but here's my arms, cuff me, and, you know, we'll fight this politically. At some point, you gotta say no. And at that game and in the church, I wanna know, now, clearly there are some people that filmed it that weren't very happy with it, and kudos for filming it. And you heard that on the thing. But why couldn't you have a group of people at least get a little bit aggressive Throw down your masks in large numbers. Again, that's a very different thing than saying, you know, I'll throw chairs at the police or, you know, beat the police down or whatever, something like that. Just everyone say, we're with her. You're going to have to arrest us all. Why is it that we're all a bunch of cowards? So with us today to answer that question and many more, maybe give us a little bit of hope, is Uber Activist. Call him Organizer for Liberty. You know, you have a community organizer for tyranny. You have community organizers for liberty like Mark Meckler. Mark, uh, no stranger to this program. He directs the uh, Convention of the States project. Terrific grassroots, but he's also using that grassroots to work to re-establish liberty in this country, to try to see how we make that silent majority silent no more, how we turn the corner. Mark, thanks so much for joining us again today.
1: It's always great to be with you and good to stand side by side with you in the fight.
0: Well, we really need people standing side by side, and that's kind of what we were talking about, um, the power of numbers, the power of not having one guy humiliate himself, make a fool out of himself. And you know, then everyone kind of looks down on that person, they divide and conquer, how we stand united against tyranny um, in a very perplexing time, and and, and basically, I'm very troubled since the last time you and I spoke, Um, it, it's been a while, it's been a couple months, and, and, and last time, I believe, we were still in a stage that was more kind of from that initial panic, it was a few months later, but... It's still this understanding the mask thing wasn't quite a religion yet. And, yeah, it's eventually going to end by the end of the summer. The cases are really down. There's nobody really dying from it in any meaningful numbers. It is well below an epidemic threshold, according to the CDC's definition, both at a hospitalization level, at a fatality level. Um, it, this can't go on forever, and it's going to end. But I warned at the time my fear worse than the complete shutdown of businesses Because that was really untenable, and it was black and white, open and closed, was to create a so-called new normal. Oh, you could stay open, but here's what you're going to do. Oh, you could walk around, but you're going to have a diaper on your face. You cannot breathe free air. You cannot walk without taking a positive action mandated by government to cover your most personal breathing space, your mouth and your nose, indefinitely without any benchmarks without often any legislative vote, and this is what's going to happen. We have a lot of evidence now that this is never going to go away. They are saying the flu is the new threshold for mask wearing and the restrictions in a number of states, including Republican governors. We have yesterday Governor Tim Walz of uh, Minnesota, he is a Democrat, making it very clear that this is going to be one of the last things to go, that is the mask mandate, a.k.a. never, Um, You have a lot of them extending it almost for another year. You have Governor Holcomb, Republican of Indiana, uh, saying that very clearly that this is your key to freedom. This is if you want to stay open, this is what you're going to do. Basically making it clear. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but this is going to go on indefinitely. I have offered my audience so far today a lot of Jeremiah um, lamenting. I'm the prophet of woe and lamentation, as Steve Dace calls me. Could you give us a little bit of Isaiah and Ezekiel? Give us a little bit of hope. Are we seeing a resistance? Where is that resistance? What are some of the things you're working on? And what can people join and latch on to to create a little bit of an avenue for liberty?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to do that and but I'm kind of I want to start with a little bit of lamenting which <laughs> is where you're at and this is my lament which is different than where I was at last time we spoke. I actually believed that people would just stand up in mass and say no and throw down the masks like you saw in Spain like you talked about. I actually expected we would see that. More importantly what I expected and what I had been trying to organize was business owners to just open in mass right? If 80% of the businesses, if every bar in Austin, Texas just opens up, they can't prosecute everybody. And that's a given rule of law requires actual voluntary compliance because there aren't enough police officers or enforcement officials to force compliance on everybody. I've been sadly disappointed in that regard. And when, when I started to experience this disappointment, I was actually frustrated with regular people with the restaurant owners, with the bar owners, with the salon owners. And I just thought, man, does nobody have any courage? And I started to look inward, you know, remove the plank from your own eye first. Right. So I started to look inward and I remembered back to Daniel. I used to own restaurants and my wife and I own several restaurants, and I started to think about how we felt about and how we dealt with local officials, because what started to happen across the country is it wasn't the governor's mask mandate that was a problem. It was What it really was, was it was mandates from local officials and threats from local officials that were the problem. So what they were saying is, hey, Mr. Restaurant Owner, we're going to pull your health certificate. You're not going to be able to ever operate again. We're going to pull your occupancy permit through the building department. We're going to pull your alcohol permit through the alcoholic beverage control department in the given state. And these are real threats. And I started to think about, I'm not in that situation right now. I don't own a small business right now. And I started to think about what was it like when I did. And I'm embarrassed to tell you what it was like, but I think it's important. In our case, when the health inspector would come, And she was a mean, nasty troll of a woman. And we would kiss the ring. I mean, quite literally, we would whatever she said, no matter how outrageous, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how offensive and rude and abusive and arrogant and aggressive she was, we would take a knee. And the reason we did it is because she could shut down our business. That was my only livelihood. She could literally put that little sticker in the window and say, you're done. And I really had no recourse. And so when I started to think about what it was like for me back when I owned a small business, I realized it's not as simple as I'm asking people to behave. It's not just, oh, are you going to stand or not stand? Because what I realized (laughs) is all of these people have everything at stake. And then the question is, well, what will the officials really do? And the answer is we've seen it all over the country. They'll pull the licenses They'll pull the health permits. They'll pull the. They did it to people that I know all across the country, and it crushed them on a real human level. So, it gave me a lot more empathy for why people weren't standing, and it also showed me that the tyranny is actually much worse and much deeper than I understood.
0: Because it's local, but it's also embedded in the society, and the people themselves are enforcing it on each other, whatever their motivation and however reluctant. This is the problem I'm seeing. And again, let's let's. First, better define the scope of the problem so we could possibly posit a solution here because what I'm finding here is it's kind of the reverse hijacker situation. Or or it's really what happens in a hijacking situation, but the reverse of what you should be doing. In that if you would all get together and rush them, usually, um, I mean, unless they're like sitting with a button on a bomb or something, but I mean, usually you could could overpower them and, and win out. The problem is nobody, it's like hard to, it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you know you're you're individual you're an individual you're isolated and you're vulnerable and you have to create that large group and and until you can you're still vulnerable and they could beat you down and no one wants to be that person to do it so if anything it was like shut up and be quiet and just whatever and it's a similar thing i'm noticing here the, on the one hand we're we're very concerned that a lot of people are brainwashed and i think a lot of people are But I'm just speaking for my community, my neighborhood, and I find whether it's a business owner, whether it's the private schools here that all put out these stupid things and their notices and the things, I get to talking to them. And they're like, yeah, this is all political. It's dumb. I I agree with you. But everyone just wants to put one foot in front of the next and somehow make their life work. Government is very good at that, giving you an avenue to make your life work that you don't feel compelled to stand and fight. Look, I, I just don't want any trouble. I just, I, I, I can't have the school shut down. I can't have the business shut down. Here's what we're doing. So then they turn around and enforce it on each other because then they get paranoid. Well, I don't want trouble here. So I don't want these guys. I'm not like I'm going to say they could not wear a, a, a mask because then I feel I'm going to get in trouble. So they're going to downright enforce it upon them. That's what we're starting to see. And The question is, how do you reverse the ball? How do you create reverse momentum? How do you start and spawn a revolution to this in a way that speaks to the strength of the numbers of the silent majority intellectually and not to the weakness of the individuals that are practically very scared? I know that's a vexing question, but...
1: Well, so look, I I think part of it is when you say, how do you start it? It's got to be organic. In other words, enough people have to be fed up that they feel like the risk is worth the reward. One of the ways we do it is you and I are, you know, for a while we're going to shout into the wilderness nobody really listens and that's part of our job is to to cry into the wilderness until other voices start to join with us there is hope i'll give you one of the best examples i know and they've actually been some of the best examples i don't know why it's happening here but some of the best examples in the country since the beginning and that's in michigan so in michigan there are some famous cases of carl the barber who stood up you know they tried to shut him down they tried to fine him they tried to silence him They tried to take his license away. He was 78 years old. He's been cutting hair his whole life. He didn't stop. He never stopped cutting hair. And ultimately, he prevailed. He's also helping to lead a movement now, which is to take the governor's power away. The, The governor I call Whitless Whitmer in Michigan. She's one of the worst in the country. Certainly has the most egregious lockdown put in place and just crazy, contradictory stuff. And so what they've done is they have a provision in their constitution that allows them to force the legislature to vote on the repeal of any law. And the law that gives her the authority, I think it goes back to 1945. It takes 350,000 signatures to qualify for that. A group of volunteers from Stand Up Michigan undertook that task. It's an enormous task. They just yesterday passed 500,000 signatures. So that should give them the buffer that they need in order to get that 350,000 certified. Now, the left is going to go screaming and kicking into the darkness if they go at all. So you've got a secretary of state and an attorney general there that are partisan and corrupt. And we'll see what happens as far as certification. But what's going on there, which is encouraging to me, is a mass citizen movement led by regular people, not moneyed interest, to actually structurally remove the governor's authority to impose a lot of the stuff that she's imposed.
0: So that's an example of fighting back through the political system, an avenue that seemed to work. But I keep kind of going back and forth between just an unprecedented degree of resistance that this clearly calls for, because this is an unprecedented degree of tyranny versus the more traditional means. And and. How are you balancing that with the activism level, the information flow level? On the one hand, it seems like the more information we put out, it goes in a black hole and it just doesn't matter. Partly because, like we're saying, intellectually, a lot of people are with us. They just they don't know what to do. They're scared. On the other hand, it does seem to work like in Nashville. We saw that when a group of um, COVID realists, they have a website there. They worked with one local media outlet to expose the lies of some of the data in Nashville. They got changes. They did get changes from that. What are some of the things that we can do and anywhere where our listeners could join your effort to possibly stop spinning our wheels and show some progress?
1: So I think we are seeing this all over the country. It's Unfortunately, it's a lot more limited and and a lot more sporadic and a lot slower than you and I might like. Another great example is here in Texas. This is where I live. It's my greatest frustration because Texas allegedly super conservative state. Everybody thinks that Governor Abbott here is some kind of conservative icon. He's not.
0: He's absolutely
1: no. not. We've got the state under lockdown. Oh, yeah. Every bar in the state is still completely shut. He's devastating the nightlife industry here in Texas. No data, of course, to support this, but oh, yeah. he's just sort of trying to play to the what he would describe, what I would describe as the squishy middle, right? He knows that generally speaking, conservatives are going to, vote for him and, and vote for the party, no matter what. So he thinks he's playing to the left and is somehow going to win some favor there. It's not. So what's going on here, which has been spontaneous, is the business community has been organizing. When I say business community, I'm talking major donors, people who run major companies, um, mega multimillionaires, billionaires, and they've been meeting with the governor and putting pressure on the governor. Unfortunately, he's really good. And a lot of these politicians are, you kind of described this. They take half steps to sort of neuter the opposition. You know, it's like, I'm being facetious of course, but it's like you only have to wear half the diaper on your face. And so then people think, well, I guess it's getting better. Do I really need to take to the streets? It seems like we're moving in the right direction. And that's the kind of stuff that our governor's been doing here in Texas. I can tell you right now, I'm talking to all the grassroots organizations in Texas. There's a network of us that talk regularly and we're getting ready to organize a huge protest uh, it's going to be legal because it's a protest, by the way, right? So they never shut down protests. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But oh, yeah. we're going to pro- protest outside the governor's mansion. And here in Texas, the governor actually lives in the mansion. We're going to show up there. I expect thousands of people. And it's a broad spectrum. We're going to work with the restaurant owners and bar owners. Here's another interesting thing, Daniel, that makes it difficult. The Restaurant Association here in Texas, they won't touch this with a 10-foot pole. They represent all the restaurants that exactly. are nightly. But their political power is in Austin, so they won't touch it. So, what they we're won't. doing is we're going to use our grassroots. We're going to create flyers telling restaurant owners and bar owners about this protest. And we're going to go have our grassroots distribute that directly to the restaurants and the bars because the associations won't do it. So, the answer to the question, which is way too long and too difficult, is it's going to be up to us one by one, grassroots wise, donor wise, in the states to fight back. And I think people are getting to, close to the point where they've had enough.
0: I hope you're right because, you know, like I said, one of the thing that, things that frustrates me, and I, I know you, you know this about me from our time together, just I'm very much like this in that, to me, if we can't go out the front door, I want to go out the back door. And if, if we can't let people, have people see the light, I want them to feel the pain. I like having a black and white. Like I was saying here, I want the school shut, the private school shut. I want the churches and synagogues shut here. I want people to fight. The problem is that they're very good at going up to that line, and that line evidently is pretty deep. I'm pretty shocked at that line of tolerance and where it's located. But what do you take out of something like this? Um, This is in Logan, Ohio. This is in a county that Trump carried by a 31-point margin. There's this middle school football game. I'm not sure if you saw the video. This small woman is sitting there in the bleachers. It's totally outdoors without a mask. Everyone's doing the ritual, you know, sitting apart outdoors, open air. It's not like she's being belligerent about it or anything or like spitting in food or something. She's just sitting there. The the school resource officer, who I guess is part of the Logan PD or the county PD maybe, um... And comes over and immediately just almost looks like rather than saying "look, you know you're gonna have to put it on if not, I'm gonna squirt you out," grabs her arms to put them behind her back. Um, she resists, but she never does it in an offensive. It's a very passive way. Um, she's like one fifth his size, so there's no like it's I mean, I'm as I'm talking to you, I'm literally watching Andy knows Twitter feed, you know, with the videos right. from Seattle where they're like throwing cones, knocking them on their head. And unless they're go the prosecutors are going back in the video and getting them, they don't look like they're being arrested. A couple of the worst ones, they'll throw pepper spray at them, but like they are getting away with murder. And The reason is because they have a group of people that have decided we're going to stand with each other. It's for evil, but they're standing with each other. The the more belligerent they are, the more the police back off. How is it in a Trump plus 31 county, you didn't have people, I'm not asking them to punch the cop in the face. We're not calling for that. We never would. But to simply all throw down their masks and say, look, you're not doing this. You have to arrest us all.
1: Yeah, I think people have been cowed. And this is this is my biggest fear for our country right now is for such a long time and we're literally talking about a century we have tolerated intrusions on our liberty. And this is something that the founders warned us warned us about were the slow intrusions, right? The accretion of power by the federal government, by local governments against our interests, that we wouldn't notice this. It's the proverbial frog in the pot of water, right? When you bring it to a boil slowly, you can kill the frog. And I think we're in that situation. I think this has been coming for a very long time. We've tolerated all kinds of intrusions. We let the government tell us how much water our toilets can flush, what kind of fuel we can put in our cars, what kind of meters we have to have on the sides of our house. So it's not that far of a leap to you have to wear a mask. And so I think it's going to take a radical reassertion of personal sovereignty by the citizens to push back against this. I don't know where the breaking point is, but like you, I'm very worried about it.
0: Because my concern is everyone's focused on, oh, just the election. But my problem is, I I could give you numerous examples, and you I'm sure have them as well, of a person situated in a Trump plus 30 county, in a Republican state with Trump currently as president. So you got, you know, all those layers there and you know, they're living under as much tyranny as I am in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And that means we're doing something wrong. I mean, there is, see, I could be at peace if San Francisco and New York and Baltimore become like Australia, AKA China now, where you don't have any rights, as long as we have a place to go where there are rights. And I would move. But with very few exceptions, like South Dakota. And even there, I mean, the funny thing is there we saw a locality that someone was wrestled out of a thing for not wearing a mask. So isn't it funny how if you're a red county in a blue state, it's like you're screwed. But somehow, if you're if you have any bit of blue, which is often even a red Trump county, but a stupid jerky Republican county government in a red state, even with a good governor. Somehow they seem to be able to do what they want. And that tells me that the other side is being heard and our side is not being heard. How do we get on the playing field? What are some, what are some tips going forward and why should November even change anything?
1: Well, I first I want to I'd like to try and dig into why is this is this way? Why are people standing down? And I think the answer to that is pretty simple. It's human nature. The greatest motivator for human beings, sadly, is fear, right? If you can scare somebody, you can make them act. You can keep them from acting. You can cause them to do all kinds of irrational stuff. And this has been nothing but fear porn or panic porn since the minute this started. So people are scared. One, they're scared of the disease. Wrongly, in my opinion, right? I mean, this has just been so radically overblown. The science is in place. We now know. So the average person has no reason to fear this disease, the woo flu. It's it's just ridiculous. So one, they've scared people about the disease. Two, people are scared of their neighbors, and their friends and public shame. And I think we downplay this a little bit too much, Daniel. Look, you and I are public figures and we get paid to and we volunteered to yep. and we've been willing to be attacked in the public. And I think sometimes guys like us forget that it's hard. Yeah. Like for us, it's whatever, attack me. I've been attacked so many times, that it makes absolutely no difference <laughs> to me anymore, right? It, it literally doesn't matter to me. So, But what happens if you're just an average person and you think somebody might catch you on video taking off your mask and you might be shamed on Facebook and your kids are going to ask you, what the heck are you doing? All my friends are saying you're some kind of mega maniac or whatever. That public shame is incredibly powerful and we shouldn't underestimate it And we should actually remember to empathize with it. In the beginning of the Tea Party movement, I used to say that we were not being asked to do very much compared to the founders. The founders pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And I had a historian who's a really good friend of mine literally chastised me for that. And he said, you are downplaying what you're asking people to do. Mm. Yes, it's a different time. No, mostly people aren't going to get shot for doing these things nowadays, but Public shame at the scale at which it can be imposed now is an incredibly powerful and dangerous motivator. And that sort of level of public shame, it didn't exist in the time of the founding. News couldn't travel the way we did. They didn't have photographs. There weren't blogs. There wasn't 24-7 news coverage. Most people were anonymous. Like they can turn you into a negative superstar overnight. They can cause you to lose your job. They can cause your kids to be trashed at school. So the risk is great. And so I think that here's the solution. The solution is not to minimize the risk, but is to explain to people that what they're doing is actually something heroic. And, And I really mean this taking off your mask. If you're in the stands with that mother, I would do it. But, you know, again, I don't care. But taking off your mask and standing with her and saying you're going to have to arrest us all, that's heroism. And we have to call people to something greater. And we have to call people to heroic action. It's not a small deal to not wear your mask when a police officer is standing there. It's a big deal. We understand the risk. It exists. It's dangerous. And hopefully there are plenty of people who will stand with you. But the question is, what kind of country do you want to live in? We're calling you to be heroic because the entire republic is at stake.
0: And I think what's interesting about the incident in Ohio that speaks to your point about the public shame from your fellow civilian neighbor, I don't think it's so much the school resource officer that would deter an entire crowd from – just saying, look, we're just taking our masks off. You gotta yeah, got rest all. Us all. But what it is is you're right. I mean, you think, well, probably a majority agree with me, but like you don't know and you're scared. You don't have a mechanism. I think if everyone would know, you probably would have that happen, but everyone's scared because, you know, A, there's a public shame in standing up, but then in particular, they've attached this um, canard to people that you are harming other people by doing what you're doing by breathing free, free air. So, you know, it has that added element and and that's the question for us and I think that's really our challenge going forward. How do we create a cultural climate where it becomes ubiquitous enough where people could assume, yeah, this this is this is garbage. And is that more at a political level, is that at an information warfare level? How do we set about to start reversing that trend? or what's it going to take?
1: Well, I think you're doing it. And I think we're doing it. And I think, again, sometimes it feels like crying into the wilderness. But the more of us that do this, the more people hear that message and decide to take the bold stand. You know, I, I was in uh, Houston this last week. And then I went from there to North Carolina, and then to South Carolina. And basically, pretty much everybody I met that would self-identify a as a conservative or a Republican wasn't wearing a mask and I was in boardroom meetings. I I was in a meeting with 50 people. Pardon the dogs here, Daniel. They're going to make (laughs) him wear a mask soon too, by the way, that's the next step. So, so I was in these board meetings or in group meetings with 50 people. And what happened was nobody, not one person was wearing a mask. So what that means is there is sort of an underlying rebellion taking place Which is, if we're in a place where we feel like we can get away with it and we're not going to be shamed, we're not wearing masks. So that's I think that's important, and it's not what we want. We want that kind of defiance in public, but also to know that it's taking place behind the scenes should be encouraging to us. The second anecdote I want to give you is in in South Carolina, sorry, North Carolina, we went to a restaurant and we had about 30 of us at the restaurant. And of course, because of the mandates of the governor there, they wouldn't let us sit together. They wouldn't even let us push tables together at all. We had to sit at a bunch of four top tables and we sat outside so we didn't have to wear masks. But when we tried to go into the restaurant, like they were hardcore about us wearing masks. And here's where I think the line is very difficult. I, that poor employee, that hostess of that restaurant, it's not her fault. Yeah, She's going to get fired if she lets people in who aren't wearing masks. Exactly. The owner of the restaurant isn't even present. It's a manager who's been told the same thing. So here's the difference between conservatives and progressives. We feel for that employee. We're not going to be jerks. We're not going to demand we go, and we're not just going to march in and start throwing over tables and screaming and yelling. Exactly. And it's not because, by the way, it's not because we're weak or we're embarrassed or we're fearful. It's because we're polite human beings. And so we end up being cowed sometimes, not by the authorities by our just general sense of decorum as good human beings. And so I saw all these people essentially who were non-compliant individuals who didn't want to wear masks, who didn't wear masks in our meeting, who wouldn't wear masks sitting outside at the tables. When they went inside to use a restroom or if they wanted to sit inside, they did comply out of kindness to the employees.
0: So, the, so you're bringing up something deep in the recesses of my heart, very philosophical, maybe even... Theological, And I want to get your take as a super activist. I have a lot of conversations with some of our colleagues and or like minded people. And they always talk about this impending civil war. And I always say somewhat like proudly, but then also almost lamenting to a certain extent that I don't see a civil war because there's only one side that's belligerent. There's only one side that's violent, and I've noticed this throughout history, in the era we live in, in in the post Enlightenment era, but but really even way past that, a uh, more in the last generation or two, where you don't see any degree of of aggressiveness. I, I don't even want to use the word violence because, uh, and we don't want violence on our side. And and psychologically, it's an interesting thing because you know. Nice guys finish last. The squeaky wheel gets oil. You're seeing it now very clear with BLM. So they have made a rule that anyone who is a violent criminal who happens to be black and gets shot by police irrespective of what he did, we get to riot. And, and essentially, our governments, including a lot of red states, have codified that as a legitimate policy. That is to be expected. Would They indulge it. To some degree, varying degrees, depending, you know, in, in Portland and Seattle, it's it's straight up the law of the land, you know, but but to varying degrees elsewhere, they went out because they are violent on our side. I, I observe something and I, I'm sure you remember this. And, and I I want to share this thought with our audience as well as you while you're on with me. I don't know if I've ever said this, but it, it, it made a deep impression upon me Um. In 2005, this is 15 years ago in Israel, the Israeli government did a remarkable thing in human history. They used their own military to uproot their own people and expelled them from Gaza and gave it to Hamas. Now, it's very hard to really give the context here, but just to give some background, imagine you, you win land back in a defensive war and people pioneer to go there. And they're surrounded on all sides by terrorists. Almost everyone has lost family members. In fact, you even had houses there that were specially made for handicapped because you had several people missing limbs in them. I mean, that's that's how pervasive um, the, the terrorism was. And through thick and thin, you live there, you persevere. They, they built up beautiful communities there. And now your own army comes and expels you. And what happened was the the as you all well know the Israeli media is like is just fiendish. I mean, they're somehow even worse than our media, which is hard to imagine. Very left wing, and they basically ran a dehumanizing campaign against them for a period of, of of months in the lead up to it. These people are violent, and they're going to shoot at the military, and they're going to do this and that. And the funny thing was after doing the ultimate thing that you could do to a human being destroy their homes they literally burnt down their stuff they did they reduced it to rubble kicked them out there was not any degree of real pervasive violence there were some of these like symbolic kind of like standoffs and cute things most of the time they sat around and sang and prayed together and it it literally never happened and because it wouldn't happen, if you would have done this to a left-wing neighborhood in Tel Aviv, they would have gotten violent. And I, I learned from that. It's the same thing here. Like if they would do certain things to um, these BLM dudes, I mean, do, they're not going to put up with that for a second. Mark, is it? Do the two work against each other? Do, 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 do the does the makeup of our people the psych, the psyche of our type of people in this country, in the era we live in, work against a movement in the likes of what the Great American Revolution was built upon in the 1760s, 1770s? Are the two mutually exclusive nowadays?
1: I think we're close to that. And I think it's, look, we're tolerant. Our system is based on, our republic is based on the idea of tolerance. And certainly the status the Marxists have used our tolerance against us throughout the history of our country. And especially in the last 115 years. So I I don't know that they're mutually exclusive, but it is a very difficult tension. People on our side, look, we have the weapons. We don't want to use them. (laughs) Right. And mostly we have, I would argue, mostly we have the military on our side. Mostly we have law enforcement on our side. What would happen in the in the event of an actual violent conflagration, I think it's very hard to say. I can tell you, I mean, we're starting to see it. You're starting to see people, a lot more people are armed. I think you're going to see a lot more armed confrontations between citizens. To be clear, I'm not in favor of that. I don't think we should go out in the streets and act as independent militias. I do say every citizen nowadays ought to be armed with what's going on out there in the country. You ought to be armed. And if your jurisdiction allows it, you ought to be carrying your weapon with you everywhere you go because there are violent thugs in the streets operating almost unabated. But I don't know what happens in the end. You know, there's, there's a couple of books I would recommend, and one that is very interesting to me. Kurt Schlichter wrote a book called People's Republic mm-hmm. uh, about what it looks like after the country splits apart. He didn't intend it to be predictive of the future. He intended it to be a warning, but it looks pretty damn predictive to me right now. And if, if you like novels, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but um, I, I, I'm sorry, a lot of fiction, but I read it and enjoyed it. And it shows what happens if the country sort of broke apart between red and blue. I think it's it's actually a reasonable portrayal of what would happen. There's two book two more books in the series. And then uh, David French just came out with a good book. I've just started it. Uh, the summary seems pretty good, just about and David and I disagree on a lot, by the way. I love him. He's a dear friend, but we disagree on a lot. Uh, a lot of political stuff, very fundamental right now. But he's written a book about essentially what he sees as the coming divorce in America. Like, can we but, reconcile? But, but, Dave,
0: but David's, but David's um, approach is essentially um, to love our way out of this. I mean, I, I don't know what his approach is, but... You know, the more belligerent the left gets, the more he seems to be moving in that direction. I didn't mean to make this about David French, but the reason why I'm bringing him up after you mentioned his name, and I I understand, I mean, he seems like a nice guy on a personal level. Obviously, we disagree with him politically, but I don't see how getting more congenial with these people is going to get us better results.
1: Yeah, and, you know, in looking at the book, it's not... And again, I'm just starting it. It actually hasn't, the hard copy hasn't even come out. So I'm listening to it right now. Um, It's not so much about what we should do so far. It's about where we're at. And it's a realistic, so it's sort of a, you know, this is exactly what you're saying. It's a, it's a Jeremiah. He's lamenting where we're at in this country. And the question is, can, can we ever come back across the Rubicon? We've crossed the Rubicon in this country to a place where the left hates us. Yeah, we we don't hate the left. I like I don't really hate anybody. I don't feel that way about my political opponents. I may not like some of them. I may think they're stupid. I may think they're irrational. I may think they're dangerous, dangerous. But hatred is not a word I would use. I don't think that people who express political opinions different from me should be silenced. I don't think they should be thrown into prison. I don't think they should have to be re-educated. Everything I just said that sounds outrageous and ridiculous they actually think about us a lot of them do and you know I tell this to people who don't understand how radical the left has become that if you have friends that are leftists I'm not just talking democrats I'm talking leftists if you have friends who are leftists when they handcuff you and they frog march you to the gulag those quote unquote friends will shake their heads sadly and say it's so bad it's so sad that daniel thought the way he did and that he has to go to prison exactly they won't. They won't stand up to stop it. They'll pretend that it saddens them, and it might even sadden them, but they'll be perfectly okay with it. You and I are different than that. I would never, nobody would I say, hey, I, I think that person deserves to go to prison for what they think or what they say. I just, that's not... It's not how our republic works. But there is this now division in the country where speech is violence and they can silence your speech and they can throw you in prison. And ultimately what that leads is to they can kill you. And we see this in the streets. They're calling for people like us to be killed. Police officers who simply enforce the law to be killed. So I think we've come to a crux moment in American history. And I don't know the answer. What I do. Here's what I do know. I know that you I'm talking to your listeners now. I know that this is a moment where you have to choose. And I know this is a moment where I'm asking you to do something risky. And I know this is a moment where I'm asking for you to actually be brave. And I'm not going to tell you it's no big deal. I am going to tell you that if you stand up, if you take off the mask, if you supported that woman at the Ohio football game and and stood around her and supported her, you might lose your career. You might be publicly shamed. You might be widely humiliated on the internet and attacked. And you might get death threats. Like people might dox you. I have friends who that's happening to. The question is, is it worth it? And my answer is, what kind of country do you want to live in? Yes. I don't want to live in a country where that's okay. And I would rather be doxed and I would... I would rather be attacked and I would rather lose my job. I would rather be publicly shamed. I would rather be financially destitute than voluntarily live in a country where I can't speak my mind. And so that's the moment that we're in, Daniel. We're in a moment for heroes. And by heroes, I mean every single American. I don't mean some guy who's willing to stand up and speak. I don't mean me and I don't mean you. I'm not saying we're heroes. We're used to this stuff. It's easier for us to stand. I mean regular people willing to put it all on the line. That's what we need right now.
0: And and this really is time of the essence. Timing really is of the essence because I think we're at that transition now where – we're beyond that kind of pseudo, not pseudo, but but like mild, superficial southern sunbelt wave. They're literally the last month there has been nothing going on now. If we are going to allow this continue and allow them to transition this into the flu is the new threshold now for the tyranny, this will not end. Um, then it will become a new normal and people will get used to it. And you won't be able to fight back. Now really is the important time to shake people up and say, "Look, this is not normal. We have to stand up and be heard." Um, I definitely appreciate your leadership on this. We also have a lot of listeners that that have emailed me, and they have lost jobs over this. I mean, there are people that have taken those risks, and 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 um and look, the information flow does matter. I'm I'm watching on my monitor. Uh, As I'm talking to you, Governor DeSantis from Florida is having a roundtable with Stanford and Harvard epidemiologists. Um, And I could tell like he he gets all the information we're talking about, the BS of this stuff. But Acharya from Stanford just said that uh, there's no correlation between the spread of disease and mask wearing. Um, So he gets it. We need more people like that. It's slow. um, And I'm certainly happy to do that. But again, I mean, Mark, in all honesty, that is my comfort zone, being very intellectual about it, and fact-based. But at some point, we are going to have to get our hands dirty. And um, I think the biggest thing that people like David French, and really that's representative of a lot of these um, Republicans and everything, what I think they don't understand is that this has nothing to do with Trump's rhetoric and tone, (laughs) Trump could walk off into the sunset tomorrow and none of this would change the way the left acts and their agenda. They've wanted to do this for a while. They've been aiming at it and they're going to continue until and unless they are stopped and checked and defeated. Um, This has nothing to do with Trump. And, uh, you know, that's that's the reality. And I think that's what people need to realize. This is not about one election. This is not about one time this is not about one individual. This is a long game, but we we are really running out of time. Um, if we want to live in a free country, forget about a country with values. I mean, that we've lost a long time ago. But just the basic freedoms, literal freedoms that we took for granted just uh, six months ago. I mean, I'm not even talking about the water in the toilet anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, th- this is yeah. your own bodily integrity Um, I want to end with one more point to get your take on it. I've been talking about the Supreme Court a lot today. One of the things that bothers me is that we talk about, oh, liberty, constitution, originalist justices. But we talk about it in the abstract, and we never confront them with a list of questions from our end to make sure we get commitments. I'm not talking about a specific case, but we should know where they stand on certain constitutional principles. And what bothers me is this. We have Judge Stickman in western Pennsylvania that gave what I thought was a very good exposition of the 14th Amendment. What it actually really does mean. And while states do have wide latitude, there are limits. There are limits. You cannot indefinitely shout public health crisis and irrespective of the evidentiary standards um, require Mask mandates, and again, I mean, because that's NFIB v. Sebelius. That's not regulating activity. You're mandating inactivity. You're saying you have to cover your face and nose, especially outdoors, very, very hard to believe that doesn't register with Blackstone's definition of individual liberty. Um, you got the, the church regulations, things like that. Shouldn't we harness the activists to say, wait a minute, I don't care who the nominee is. But we need some certitude about where they stand on some of these issues.
1: Yeah, look, I completely agree with you. We've done a terrible job historically, we as those on the right, uh, determining whether we have the right kinds of justices being nominated. I think it's not perfect, but it's certainly been a lot better under Trump. Uh, And there is actually real ideology guiding the process. Again, I think we're going to make mistakes. Uh, We don't always have the right people from my perspective giving the advice or making the choices. And we have a lot of terrible ones, but, but Stickman was a Trump appointee. Yeah. So, uh, so look, I think we we've done better. Part of the problem when you're appointing judges is that human beings are judges and (laughs) judges are human beings. And so you don't always get what you believe you're going to get, but I think we have to do a better job of vetting them. We have to do a better job of understanding their judicial philosophy, but also understanding them as human beings. You know, one that I have real personal experience with is Justice Kennedy. When I was in law school, Justice Kennedy taught a night section of con law at our school in Sacramento. I went to University of Pacific McGeorge School of Law, and he was a con law teacher there. And I never had him as a teacher. But when he was nominated to the court, a lot of my fellow students that knew him well said, it's a really bad nomination. Mm. And the reason that they said it was a bad nomination was they said he was he's an incredibly amiable guy who really likes to be liked. Yes. And that's a bad personality profile for the Supreme Court. The right personality profile is a Thomas or a Scalia, not just judicially, but in temperament. But in temperament. their temperament. And that's They correct.
0: just don't care. Ki- See, this is what I, I mean. Look, I don't know if you've heard my shows from all week, but I've been making your exact point that everyone's like, this is an originalist. Well, you know, there's a lot of originalists, but then in practice, there's none. I mean, except for Thomas. And the reason is because they don't have the guts because everything the left does, they enmesh in, I'm a good person. Either it's racial, almost everything is racial or identity with the 14th Amendment, or it's, you know, you're saving lives. um, I'm a good person. um, I'm pro-woman. It's always, whatever it is, if it's affirmative action... If it's a homosexual agenda, if it's um, whatever right they conjure up with with voting and things like that, election law. And look, forget about Gorsuch and and, um, Kavanaugh, but even Roberts, I think we all know deep down knows these things are BS. But the problem is that when you get to that point, you have the guts. It's the same thing in the political positions. Ted Cruz, especially his first two years in office, you saw he was a different animal. There's a lot of people that might kind of believe in the conservative stuff, but he was willing to look Mitch McConnell in the eye and say, you lied to me, his own party leader on the floor. There's very few people who will do that. So Thomas will get up there and say, look, the last 60 years of our Civil Rights Act jurisprudence is built on a legal fiction. I'm paraphrasing there, but he has said that over the years in several cases Right. Oh, I know. I, look, unlike with with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and certainly the preceding ones where I had specific problems with. Not that they were going to be bad on every issue, but I had specific issues and I turned out to be right. I don't have any issues that I could see a red flag with Amy Barrett or some of the other names being bantied about. But do we know there are Clarence Thomas? Now, to be fair, did we know Thomas and Scalia at the time would be as good as they wound up being? No, but. Most other times they're not. I mean, we lucked out there and other times they're not. Like, what bothers me is that we're so focused on, okay, we gotta get them through the process, trick the Democrats, but then in the process, we're tricking ourselves. And Josh Hawley seems to be the only one to say, like, wait a minute, shouldn't we use our time, whether privately or at the Judiciary Committee hearing publicly, to get our issues? I mean, like I mean, you're generally good, but do we know you're not for anchor baby jurisprudence? I don't know. I really don't. I I, I I don't know. I mean, Amy Barrett is a great Catholic, has a great family story. She seems like a terrific person. Her writings are very good. I don't see anything bad. I, I do again, I question the opinions she signed on to with Diane Wood on Pritzker's stay at home orders, which seems the opposite of the way Stickman looks at Jacobson and the Fourteenth Amendment. I think that needs to be looked into. I'm not going to tagger with it yet because there is a little nuance there. But why am I the only one questioning this?
1: Well, I think because, look, the, the analysis you're doing is a very sophisticated analysis. It's not an analysis that most people, I'm not going to say they're not capable of. They don't have the time. But right? just remember that the average person is just working. Their job, your job and my job is to understand the nuance of politics. Yeah, but I mean White
0: House officials, Republican senators, I mean. Yeah,
1: well, I think because (laughs) they're looking for the strictly at the politics of it. This is part of the problem with the right is we look at short-term instead of long-term. The Democrats have always played a long-term game, and we play a short-term game. And so what they're looking at in the short-term is – Who's attractive? Who can we confirm easily? Who's going to handle themselves best sitting at that table? How do we score the most political points and get this done? And I would say they have a sort of base threshold of conservative judicial philosophy, but it's not deep enough. I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah. We've been burned by this many times, and I'm just going to hope and pray that we don't get burned by it again, and maybe some of these folks are listening to you, and they're going to take a look.
0: Yeah, I mean, because that that's the thing that – um. There is no doubt in my mind Amy Barrett wants Roe overturned um, or doesn't believe it should have existed. But if she were on the court, would she overturn it? I, I There's a better chance, I think, than some of the recent ones. But we don't know. And again, to be fair, almost none of them would we know. I think like a Jim Ho, we probably would, based on the stuff he's been doing Yeah. his concurrences. Sure. But but they're not going to nominate him. Well, Daniel, I, I can't. But then at least privately get it from someone that doesn't. I mean, but they're not. I mean, Schumer will accuse them of getting a litmus test privately. The, the sad thing is Schumer's wrong. They don't. I wish they did. Because again, if we're going to have a tribunal of judicial supremacy which I don't believe in but but everyone else seems to do it then yeah you better believe I want to know where they stand on it if they're going to be determining the arc of of society and and again I just think we 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 go back to abortion we go back to some of the social issues maybe immigration and they're all important but we have in front of us the most live fire exercise in constitutional questions pertaining to liberty like it's never pertain before like it's never affected us and no one's even talking about getting some sort of understanding of where these people and especially given that amy signed on to uh a, a, um an opinion upholding a state a shelter in place order and you know it that, that language from judge wood was very i don't know if you've seen it i need you to take a look at it and help me out by the way very categorical. She was saying Jacobson is is law. Jacobson, even though it was very limited, basically blesses it, it, it forecloses on any 14th Amendment um allegation against this pandemic. So it wasn't even with regard to forced vaccination. She talks about foreclosing on anything. Now, again, you could sign on to opinion but not write a concurrence because you agree with the outcome of that particular case and might not bless every word that the very liberal judge would have wrote but dude what like that does need to be questioned um I want someone more in line with Stickman's ruling on that and no one even cares this is just nuts anyway any 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 closing thoughts
1: yeah look so there's there's nothing that you say that I disagree with right everything you're saying I agree with. Uh, I'm going to go back and do a a quick summary, okay? Number one is I am worried about the state of the nation. I am lamenting because I worry about that people aren't willing enough to fight. I think that people are fearful, and I don't think that that fear is irrational, so I'm I'm not judging them for being fearful. I think that we live in a time when we need more heroes, and by hero, I mean you, anybody who's out there who's listening, and by hero, I don't mean that you – you are willing to go into literal battle on the streets, but I do mean that you're willing to stand for a woman in Ohio who takes her refuses to wear a mask or takes her mask off that you're willing to do that act of defiance next to her, that you're willing to withstand the shame that might come from that, the social pressure from that. I mean, those things. Um, I, you know, I want to address, sort of the David French's of the world as well. Uh, Like I said, David and Nancy French, dear, dear friends of mine, we disagree on a lot of stuff politically. I love and respect them. Uh, David has a particular view of politics in America today from a moral perspective that I don't agree with, but see, this is one of the things and why I'm bringing up David I don't agree with him. I don't hate him for it. Right. They're like the left hates us for having a disagreement on politics and David doesn't hate me for n- not agreeing where I think David is correct. And, and the reason I bring him back up is we've come to some kind of a split in America and I don't know what happens from here. Oh, for and sure. Think, for and sure. So the question is it's up to your listeners. And, and I mean that genuinely, are you going to stand and be a hero which means you're going to be in the fight and nobody may ever even know that you fought, but you're going to be in the fight, just like the great revolutionaries that came before us, just like guys who died on the beach in Normandy and people who gave their lives, gave everything for this country. I'm not asking you to give your life, but I am potentially asking you to give up some of your social reputation, maybe your career, maybe job prospects, friend prospects. Are you going to stand? That's really where I see us right now. Everybody has to look in the mirror and say, am I going to be a subject? Or am I going to be sovereign?
0: I, I mean, look, Mark. I, I agree with David on that point. I, I think his way of going about it works against his thesis. Um, we need a two-state solution, not in Israel. We need one here. <laughs> we need. Right. It to, I mean, I, I will say that openly. It's become obvious. You can those those two worldviews cannot live together. Um, it, it, it is. It, it is simply. I mean, if you believe that, you know. You could have rapists, child molesters, murderers. All these people need to be let out of prison, but we should lock up in prison. Literally, I mean, a Tennessee um, councilwoman said someone who doesn't wear a mask should be uh, um, charged with murder and w- wants to introduce legislation to that effect. You cannot bridge that divide. I you, agree with that. You cannot. Br- I understand. But my problem is we don't have a divorce. We have unified tyranny. We have A 50-state tyranny in this country to varying degrees, and we don't have a single place that is as good in any way that California and Maryland and New York are bad. Frankly, Houston, Dallas, Austin, just as bad. Agreed. And, you know, when I go out, you know, everyone's like, Daniel, you live in such a crappy place. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, my whole family's been here for many years, so show me a better place when I go on vacation in Ohio pile, Southwest Pennsylvania with Trump flags at every corner. And still, you know, you have the ice cream store where I can't even go in, go in there to get my kid, a an ice cream, no mask, no entry. I'm like, wow. I mean, where could I go? Where, 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 where could I go where we actually have conservatives that are in control practically, not just in theory. and, you know again i'm not going to rehash a lot of other things a lot of that has to do with the republican party and the corrosiveness of of the republicans and how it's a misrepresentation of conservatism unlike the democrats which is a very good um vehicle for socialism and anarchy and even communism what they're pushing now and that's why we have that imbalance with red states not being as red as the blue ones are blue but you know we need to create that safe space for us we need to create What Sam Adams said is that last refuge on earth for civil and religious liberty that he wanted to create, and now we lost. And yeah, I mean, I'm a realist. I don't think we're going to get it back um, in 50 states, but we need some. We need some, and uh, that's our challenge. Where could people go to join your effort?
1: Yeah, there's two places. Go to conventionofstates.com to get involved. If you want to know about what's going on in opening the states, uh, go to openthestates.com. But really, the main hub is conventionofstates.com. Get involved in the fight. We're involved in it at all levels, local. There's a lot of hope at local. And so get involved locally, statewide, and nationally at conventionofstates.com.
0: There you go, folks. Mark Meckler, Convention of the States. Pearls of wisdom as always. We are way over time, just like yesterday. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.